welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now, our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Oh, that was so awesome, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You want to get baptized again? <laughs> right here. Uh, all right. Uh, kids, you guys can, yeah, make your way to Kids City. There you go. Um, you guys are going to have an awesome time in Kids City just learning about Jesus and this world and what Jesus has done for you. Uh, we're so excited that you're here today. Uh, I'm Mike, one of the pastors here. Again, just want to mention that Connect card that you can put in the offering bag as it goes by later. But uh, I'm going to try to do a 40-minute sermon in 20 minutes, okay? Uh, so hold on to your seats. We're going to move fast through this passage in 1 Corinthians. Man, uh, this reminded me of my baptism, actually. Um, when I was baptized, I was... <laughs> I'm, like a, I'm like a fun-loving guy, so I laugh a lot. I smile a lot. Um, I was looking at someone in my parents in in the the audience when I was baptized and I just started laughing and I was laughing at the same time he said buried with Christ in his death he's like oh shoot I'm like drowning under there like and when I came up I was coughing up the baptismal water um and it was on April Fool's Day that I was baptized so I don't know if that was some joke but uh it was just such it was such an amazing experience so if this is something that you have been considering for a while. Uh, hopefully this shows you the picture of, just the beautiful picture of what baptism is and, um, and the step of faith that it is for someone like, uh, who, like Mel who is struggling but still says, despite all that, I'm going to take a step of faith because I know Jesus is real. My relationship with God is real. So sorry about this mic. It keeps on coming off. All right, so let's jump into this, this sermon. We're talking about the Holy Spirit today. That's why the whole service is focused on the Spirit. Um, and we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you're new to church, this is a letter Paul wrote to the first church in the city of Corinth. And each week we're talking about a different topic. This week we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And all we're going to do is walk through 10 verses this morning, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 16. So... Before we get into that, I just want to tell you the one thought that I want you to have in your mind as you go through this passage, the one thought, if you don't remember anything else, that uh, you need to grab onto, and that's, that's this. Do not seek to understand in order to believe. Believe in order to understand. This is a direct quote from one of the church fathers, a guy named Anselm in the Middle Ages, and he had this struggle of faith, and he wrote this in his book called Proslogion. And in this chapter called The Awakening of the Mind to the Contemplation of God, he writes this. He says, I don't seek to understand in order to believe. 
And a lot of you guys have questions. A lot of you guys are processing intellectual things about the faith. And this was a very intellectual guy. And you're, you're asking all these questions about the faith. And he says, I don't seek to understand in order to believe. And that's where a lot of you guys are. You're, you're trying to process these things. Well, if, is God real? Well, if he is, then, then maybe this. And, or who is Jesus? Is, is this? And, and those are valuable questions. And you'll find answers to those, some of them. But a lot of your questions don't get answered until you believe. And he says, I believe in order to understand. Because he says, right after that, a very personal quote, he says, because I know if I don't believe, I will never fully understand. And that's what this passage is all about. And so those of you guys who are in here, who have a lot of questions about the faith, who saw this and you're like, what is that? I mean, why would you, why would you do that? What, what, is, what is so special about this? It's not even clean water. It's like, there's stuff floating in it. <laughs> it's, all in, it's all in Melanie's hair, you know? I mean, like, it's, it's not even clean. Why, why would you guys do something like this? Well, this statement is for you this morning. Do not seek to understand in order to believe. Believe in order to understand. When you have an experience with God, you find that the questions that you have either get answered you find out you're asking the wrong questions, or you find out your questions don't even matter anymore. And this is the point of Anselm, that a step of belief is necessary in order to understand. This is the point of the Apostle Paul this morning as he pens this letter to the church in Corinth. So all we're going to do, the verses will be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible in your hand, and we're going to walk through these verses, and I'm going to read them for us, and I'm going to explain them to you. Okay? He says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. <clears throat> although it's not a wisdom of this age. So I'm going to stop a lot during this. So right at the beginning, he says, this passage, this section of Scripture is for those who are mature in Christ Jesus. Those who have grown in Christ Jesus in their relationship with Christ, this is for those who are mature. Okay? And he, he talks about different groups here. He talks about mature. He talks about immature. And he talks about those who aren't even of the spirit, the natural person. We'll get to that in a second. But he says, what's going to follow? These are for the, this is for the mature. We impart a wisdom. And it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. He, he talks about the, the finitude, the, the, fi, the finite rulers, the, the ones who they're here today, they're gone tomorrow. That's all of us. He says they're doomed to pass away. But this wisdom isn't. Verse 7, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now, you can read over that pretty easily, but let's read it again. He says, which God decreed before the ages for whose glory? For our glory, us. Okay, this is, this is a very unique statement in the Scriptures because all through the Scriptures, we're talking about God's glory all the time. Okay, we're created for God's glory. We're created to give glory to God. But he says this wisdom was given to us for whose glory? Our glory. For us. For a specific reason. He's, Jesus is, uh, God has done this in the person of Jesus Christ to show us something about ourselves. To restore us to a former glory. Now, if you've read through the whole, uh, the whole scriptures, you find out that, that God creates us 
And just one chapter later, at the beginning of this entire book, sin enters the world because we think we're better than God. And we choose uh, to say, no, God, you don't know what's right for us. We know what's right for ourselves. And then sin enters the world. And God is the, the whole time God is trying to redeem us back. He's trying to restore us to what was former. He's trying to bring us back in this Garden of Eden state where we're walking with God, where, where our relationship with God is not, uh, we don't experience silence, where it is always there. It is always us hearing God and God hearing us and Him walking with us right next to us, showing us everything we need to do, our purpose, our destiny, our identity, all those things. He says that's the glory that the secret and hidden wisdom is trying to bring back into your life. And if you're a Christian this morning, that is what God, and Daniel hit on this perfectly, that is what God has done this for. Melanie talked about too, like that is what God has, has done, in, done this for, to, to bring you back to your purpose in life, to what you were supposed to have been. If you're not a believer yet, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if this is your first time in church in a long time, and you're struggling or you're not struggling, I'm here to tell you that that is the truth of the scriptures, that God is trying to restore you to what has been lost in your life, and he's trying to help you find it. So it's for our glory. Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this. So the best of us, the wisest of us, the richest, the, the richest of us, the rulers of this age, they didn't understand this. Because if they had, and here's the proof they didn't, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They wouldn't have crucified Jesus Christ. They wouldn't have killed him. They wouldn't have put him on a cross. Verse 9, but as it is written, and, and Paul is taking this as a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4, he says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And this is part of this glory. And he says, we can't see it with our senses. We can't hear it. We can't even imagine what God has prepared for us. Unless, verse 10 happens. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit. So if you're in Christ, you have the spirit of God. And he says, that's how you can know what God has prepared for you. And there's two things here. One, it's obvious that God has prepared something really awesome for us, right? That God is, uh, that he loves us, that he pursues us, he's done something really awesome for us. But the second thing is, he says he's prepared something for those who love him, who have chosen to follow him, who have said yes to what God has said, this is for you. And so in order to receive the Spirit, in order to partake in this blessing, in order to share in it, to be a part of it, you'd have to choose this for yourself. And then the Spirit reveals these things. This is for the Spirit searches everything, everything, even the depths, the depths of God. Um, Missy in, in BLG brought this up, and I thought it was such an awesome thing. So when you think about the depths of God, what do you just, what do you think of, you don't have to shout it out, but when I say depths, what do you think of? Like, the majority of you had water in your mind, 
you're thinking of water. Like, water's deep, the depths of, of water. Uh, you know, the ocean, just think of the ocean, for instance. The ocean, the deepest point in the ocean is taller than Mount Everest. A good, a good uh, 8,000 feet taller than Mount Everest. All the way down. We don't have any idea what's down there, even though James Cameron has been down there with a the little submarine. Like, we don't... We don't know really what's down there. We don't know what life is like down there. And this gives us a picture of God. Not a very good one because God's even way deeper than this. But he says the Spirit searches even the depths of God. And Missy brought out on Tuesday, if the Spirit can search the depths of God, how much more so does the Spirit search the depths of you, of us? Now for some of us, you're pretty shallow. So you're like, ah, well, you know, there's not, much, there's not much to me. What you see is what you get. Others of you, you're like ogres. Ogres have layers, okay? And, you're, and God's peeling back the layers. The Spirit is searching your, your depths. For some of you, this is also unnerving. You're like, ah, I don't, I don't think I want that. I don't think I want the Spirit of God searching the depths of me because I don't, I don't like the depths of me. And I don't, I don't think God's going to like what he finds. But that's the beauty of the gospel. Even though the Spirit searches our own depths, he still loves us and pursues us and chases after us, and he still desire us, desires us and wants us in a relationship with him, even though he knows your deepest, darkest depths and your secrets and your sin and all those things, your brokenness. The Spirit of God is there saying, I still love you because the only way you're going to get restored to your former glory is in a relationship with me. And then verse 11 says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? So he's explaining verse 10. The spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Think about this. No one knows your thoughts, the thoughts that you have that you don't want to share out loud. No one knows those except you. Okay? No one knows your thoughts unless you share them out loud. Uh, and and God, is, God is saying that uh, that's why. And so also, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit, the thoughts of God, that are in God, unless he reveals them, unless he shares them. This word for reveal is, is um, a word that, is, that has a connotation of uncovering. God is uncovering something. He's... he's um, He's opening something up to us, okay? And so he says, no, we can't do this apart from the Spirit of God. And verse 12, now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. This isn't, we don't earn the Spirit, guys. This isn't a, a meritorious thing. We don't work our way to earn anything from God. Those are, that's what a lot of other faith-based uh, religions say. This is what's uniquely distinct about the Christian faith, that it's freely given. It's just saying yes to Jesus. Yes, I believe. It's, it's belief in order to understand. And, and he says it here, this, and we can understand these things freely. Verse 13, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom. If that wasn't clear, Paul makes it even more clear. This is not from, from human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And now he's going to explain what that means, because that's kind of a weird 
a weird statement. It's, there's a lot in there. So in verse 14, he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for their folly to him, their foolishness. This is why Paul says earlier in 1 Corinthians that those who are perishing, the gospel is a message of foolishness. They don't get it. They can't get it. They don't have the Spirit of God. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Now, this is in the context of spiritual matters, okay? So it's not saying the spiritual person is, is better than the natural person. The natural person is not a derogatory term here. The natural person is just, hey, when we're born in this world, just naturally, we're born without the Spirit of God. We're born into sin. We're born into this, this corrupt world. And he says, that's just natural. Like, nothing against us for it. That's just natural. But he says, the spiritual person judges all these spiritual matters. They can do that. They can judge all these things. And he's not to be judged by anyone, meaning in spiritual matters, okay? So this is why the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, when he's in Athens, and the Athenians say, ah, he's just a babbler, because Paul's sharing about the resurrection. And he, he says, oh, well, he's just a babbler. He doesn't know what he's talking about. That's why Paul's like, whatever. They don't get it yet. He's like, they don't, they don't get it. This is why at the end of Acts, in chapter 26, Paul is standing before a Roman governor, Festus, and he says, Paul, you're out of your mind. He literally says, Paul, you're insane. And Paul's like, well, I mean, he just can't understand it yet because he doesn't have the spirit doing this. I won't get into all the theology of that, um, but I wrote a book on that exact topic. So most of you guys, so I'll give you the, the link to it, and you can go, I'll go buy it. No, no. This is, this is my, my dissertation that I wrote. Um, it's all, this whole passage is like the central point of my dissertation. Um, for those of you guys who have heard that I wrote a book but didn't believe me, I probably should have bought, brought it, Kelly, so you could see that it's actu actually real. But all the technical aspects of it, all the theology, all the doctrine of illumination is what this is about, is in that book. So we won't get into that here because I have like five minutes left. Um, we'll just jump into verse 16. So it's going to feel like there may be some things missing. Um, but by the book, Amazon.com backslash, I don't know, I'm just kidding, I don't know what it is. Um, I've sold like 30 copies and they're all from my dad purchasing them and <laughs> giving them out to his friends. <laughs> um, so, but uh, I didn't even plan on saying that, I'm sorry. I, I'm not trying to promote myself. <laughs> Verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And that was one of the most powerful statements in all of Scripture. That we, the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ, have the mind of Christ. It's significant here, he doesn't say we have the mind of Jesus. He doesn't say we have the mind of God. He doesn't say we have the mind of the Spirit. He says we have the mind of Christ, and Christ means the anointed one. Christ means the Messiah. Christ means the one who came to save us. He says that's the mind that we have. And what does that mean for us? 
What does that mean for you individually as a follower of Jesus? What does it mean for you who are like, I don't, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but that sounds interesting. What does it mean for us as a church? Does this mean that we're better than the rest of the world? Do you think that means like we have a leg up on everything? There's four passages in the Bible who talk, that talk about Jesus Christ. They're called the Christological passages of the scriptures. It's John 1, it's Colossians 1, uh, it's Hebrews 1, and Philippians chapter 2. Let me walk with you real quick through Philippians chapter 2. This is actually, we'll have it on the screen. I'll just read it up here. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, unity, having the same love, unity, being in full accord, unity, and of one mind, unity. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He's just teasing out humility. Now here's the kicker. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Remember, but we have the mind of Christ, and this is what the mind of Christ looks like. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking or by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. See, having the mind of Christ doesn't set us above anybody. It actually makes us servants to the natural person. It makes us servants to the rest of the world. Because we're joining in God's work to restore the former glory that was lost. It doesn't give us anything to, to, to uh, be prideful about it. Because Jesus, he didn't exhibit hubris. He showed us humility. He didn't show us obstinacy. He showed us obedience. He said it wasn't about being equal and striving for equality. It was about emptying himself. It was never about pride for Jesus. It was about poverty and being a servant to others. That's the mind of Christ that you have. That's the mind of Christ that the church has. And if you are from outside the church, if you haven't experienced church in a while, you may have been jaded from the church, or you may see the church as, as an institution that is devoid of life. Hopefully this changed that this morning. You may see the church as an institution that is prideful and, and exhibits more hubris, but we're not that type of people. Our Lord and Savior was a servant to the world. He was not a ruler. He was a servant. My buddy Nathan, who you guys, some of you guys have met, he showed me something really awesome in the scriptures this past week. And I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to share this. So uh, this, is, uh, this is from the Gospel of Matthew. And in Matthew, 
when Matthew writes his gospel on the life of Jesus, he shows Jesus, Jesus, there's a genealogy, Jesus um, gets tempted, he, or he gets baptized and he gets tempted, and Jesus preaches his first sermon. His first sermon is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't say repent, for the church is at hand. He didn't say repent for uh, fill in the blanks. And he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom. And when he says repent, we always hear it as this like, Oh, it's like kind of, repent, you're a sinner. But how about if Jesus says, hey, repent, I'm here. The kingdom is coming now. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so he goes and he gives a sermon on the mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he starts to show us what the kingdom looks like. And Jesus starts to exercise dominion over the land. This is, this is an illusion all the way back to Genesis and the cultural mandate where, where God says, the world is yours. Go and make disciples, have dominion over, be fruitful and multiply. So Jesus starts to do this because he's bringing in and he's ushering in the new kingdom. He's trying to restore us to our former glory. This whole world, he's reconciling all things to himself. And he starts to cast out spirits and demons. And he starts to heal those who are paralyzed. He starts to give sight to the blind. He, he lets the deaf hear. He cleanses lepers. He does all these things. He, he even raises people from the dead. And this is Matthew cha chapters 8 and 9 where Jesus is doing this. And there's this word that's repeated in the Greek. Um, it's egairo. And, uh, and the word is translated as rose, like not the flower, but he rose, rose up. And so in Matthew 8, Jesus goes in and he heals Peter's mother-in-law from sickness. And it says after he does that, she rose, egairo. And then in Matthew chapter 8, uh, uh, Jesus calms a storm. And it says, when he does that, he's like laying down in the boat, and it says, he rose, a guy rose, and he told the winds and the waves to be silent and to be still. And his disciples were like, who, who is this guy? They even have command over, over this. And then in Matthew chapter 9, uh, this happens uh, when, when Jesus, it says, he rose to go raise someone from the dead. He, he rose to heal somebody. And there's this really significant, there's one other instance of this word in those chapters. And, and uh, it's, it's, again, in healing. And then there's this really significant change in that. Right in the middle of Matthew, Matthew chapters 8 and 9, the word rose is used again, but it's a different word in Greek. It's the word that's used for the resurrection. It's the words to bring back what was dead before and now is, is alive. And Matthew, as he pens this gospel, he uses this word for his own calling. His, his own discipleship. And Matthew is sitting behind him. He's a tax collector, basically a thief. He's the worst of the worst in that day. They were like, uh, in, in that day, there are sinners and there are tax collectors. Like when the Pharisees come on, they're like, hey, Jesus, why do you hang out with these sinners and tax collectors? It's like tax collectors are like a whole other form of sinners. They're like the worst ones because they're stealing from the people. And Matthew is a tax collector, and he's sitting behind his tax collecting table, and Jesus says, come follow me. And he's already called the other disciples, so Matthew intentionally puts it in these two chapters. And it says that Matthew rose. 
me follows Jesus. And it's the word for resurrection. That Matthew, he didn't just stand up. He viewed this as a resurrection from the dead. He viewed it like this. That he once was dead and he was buried. And now that Jesus has called him, he has new life. He's being redeemed and restored to his former glory. And what's significant about that is Jesus has just said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's how he starts the Sermon on the Mount. And the Pharisees say, how can you hang out with a guy like that, a tax collector? And Jesus says, I didn't come for those who are well. I came for those who are sick. I came for those who need a savior. And all of you guys here this morning who consider yourselves followers of Jesus, you recognized at one point that you were sick and that you needed a savior. And if you are not a follower of Jesus this morning, that's not a debilitating truth. That's not a truth that should. Unfortunately, it's a truth that kind of, it sounds foolish and it, it goes against our souls, but it's actually a freeing truth that you need Jesus. And he's come to restore you to what you should have been all along. So I want to invite you this morning to make a decision, like the four people who made a decision this morning. Make a decision to follow Jesus. To recognize that in Christ Jesus, you were once dead, but now you have life. A new life. The life you were always meant to live. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the beauty of the scriptures. Thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you so much for bringing us out of darkness into light, from death into life. And we will never, ever be able to mine the entirety of the depths of you. But praise God that we have the Spirit of God in us to even begin to scratch the surface. And I pray that you would just mine us this morning, that you'd show us who we were meant to be. That's the beauty of this. In our faith, we're not just learning about you. We're learning about who we are. And so we thank you for that and praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.